You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we're going to be talking about the NASM Flexibility Continuum, this integrated flexibility continuum. That means we're not just picking one thing because we like that thing, is that we're taking flexibility concepts, putting them together, putting it in a continuum, and making it make sense for your clients depending on where they are. Now, when I was a young man, I did martial arts. Uh, I still do martial arts, but I did martial arts where we focused a lot on um, acrobatics and gymnastics, and I was able to do that sweet little Jean-Claude Van Damme splits between two chairs move. That's right. Uh, I was able to do the center splits between two chairs. I could do the front splits on both legs. Yo, I had skills. No joke. This was amazing. Looking back at that, I am amazed that this body was once able to do stuff like that. You talk about if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, so those that was a long time ago. But being able to do that gave me a, an understanding of flexibility that many people will never comprehend. But it also didn't set me up to truly understand what flexibility was and and its purpose. It was important to me because I wanted to be able to do the splits and I wanted to be able to kick really high and I wanted to be able to do these really dynamic looking exercises, but the functionality of it was really not truly explored. Now, it was important for what I was doing at the time, so we need to make sure that we understand that we may support people in something that they have efforts towards. For instance, people who might need flexibility for their craft or their art. Certainly martial artists come to mind. Dancers come to mind as well. But are we helping our clients get into this range of motion? Are we thinking that that all of our clients need to have this incredible range of motion? Uh, I, I don't think anybody thinks that. But that might be a goal of somebody's. We also want to understand why they have those goals. And if we have those goals, we can help support them in reaching it. Maybe some of the stuff we'll talk about today helps. But... Also, we need to understand that I might have somebody that I'm training that wants to be flexible, but if you look at them, they actually need to increase their stability and they don't want to lose their stability because of this hypermobility. If I have hypermobile clients and they tell me, and, and for no reason, so they're not doing martial arts and they're not dancers and they not, they're not doing other things that, that this is important for and they're just saying, hey, my hamstrings feel tight. They feel tight. And then you go to stretch their hamstring in a 90-90 position, and they right up into that position. And you go back, and they're like, push it back towards my head. I want to be able to kiss my thigh, whatever it is. And they go, they don't need you to stretch them. They may need to increase some stability, but look at that range of motion. And sometimes what we refer to as uh, naive flexibility or flexibility without a purpose. So you want to be very aware that you're not creating potentially any contraindications by overstretching someone. And of course, if somebody is telling you that they feel tight, you want to understand also that feelings are not facts. And just because something feels tight doesn't mean that it is tight. It's not mechanically tight, certainly in this situation. Neurologically, it might be tight because it is doing something to probably try to stabilize a joint. So neurologically, it's becoming very active. So base everything that you do 
off of thorough assessments. Now, let's talk about the flexibility continuum. I like this because you know, one of the brilliant things about the OPT model, it's, it, it, it's a simplicity. And the flexibility continuum goes really well with that stabilization strength and power phase. And you've got three different versions of flexibility that we're going to look at in the intera- uh, integrated flexibility continuum. There's corrective flexibility, active flexibility, and functional flexibility. Now, these are headliners. These are the topics, the types of flexibility that we want to help people get and maintain. There are techniques that allow us to get there. Every one of these across the board, whether it's corrective flexibility, active flexibility, or functional flexibility, can all use what NASM refers to as self-myofascial release or what's commonly referred to as foam rolling. So you can use foam rolling in any one of these modalities to help with corrective flexibility, to increase active flexibility, and to provide functional flexibility. So foam rolling across the board. If you were like, what should I do in terms of flexibility, and you were stuck on an island and you were only given one option, which in this example doesn't make any sense because you can do corrective flexibility, active or functional, if you're stuck on an island. But I think you understand if you could pick one thing Foam rolling might be one of those things that it's just highly indicated regardless of which section that you're in that you could do across the board. So it's highly indicated regardless of what your uh, flexibility outcomes are looking to be. Now, one important thing to understand about corrective flexibility is we start to identify what falls underneath it. Corrective flexibility is designed to increase joint range of motion. That's really its purpose. I want to increase range of motion at a joint. It can help to improve muscle imbalance. Why? Because we're limited in our range of motion. And it can help to correct altered joint range of motion. So there might be this arthrokinetic uh, imbalance that's taking place, and it's going to help with how potentially we can, our our muscles can, can glide and how they can roll. So be aware of that and understand that corrective flexibility is really to correct imbalances. Now, that goes back to this conversation we're having about somebody that's really flexible and you give them perhaps that hamstring stretch and they say they feel like they need it, but when you look at them, they don't need that. They, they're incredibly flexible. They're hypermobile or overly mobile. Corrective flexibility is designed for people who are hypomobile, people who have lower mobility and decreased range of motion. The only time that I would suggest potentially doing static stretching for somebody that might have already increased range of motion might be after a pretty intense workout and those muscles truly are tight and they're potentially getting quite sore, then that stretch can help to create an inhibition that causes those muscles to to relax a little bit. So corrective flexibility, you have two things. You got the self-myofascial release, you got static stretching self-myofascial release or foam rolling, and static stretching. Static stretching, you're going to take that stretch and you're going to hold a stretch for a minimum of 30 seconds. And I tell my clients all the time, you may need to do more than 30 seconds. You may need to do 60 seconds. And the only reason I tell them that is because they do that one, two, skip a few method. So they're not really doing 30 seconds. They're doing about eight 
seconds, and they go, oh, that had to have been 30 seconds. So sometimes I'll tell them to, to do more. And there's actually a wonderful study that showed, you know, the uh, several different people within a research study where they did either 30 seconds and then they did up to a hold of 120 seconds. And the 30-second hold group uh, was just as effective as the 120-second hold group. Well, what's happening here? Usually what happens is we're looking for not just a mechanical extension of the muscle, but we're looking to get the muscle neurologically to release and so, or to become inhibited. And this term is called autogenic inhibition. Autogenic inhibition in a static stretch is you are statically stretching a muscle, let's say hamstrings, because that's a common one that people will talk about. So you stretch the hamstrings. When you stretch the hamstrings, the hamstrings get tight. They don't like being stretched. There is a, there is a mechanoreceptor in the body. As you start to lengthen a muscle, depending on the length or how much you lengthen it and how fast you lengthen it, this mechanoreceptor will, will see that and then it'll go, I, I don't like that. I do not like what this feels like. So that stretchometer that's in there is going to be the, the muscle spindle. And the Golgi tendon organ is a tensionometer. It's measuring the amount of tension. So as we stretch and that muscle spindle stretches, whether it's overly lengthened or quickly lengthened, it starts to tighten up. And it says, man, we're going to hurt this muscle if we keep stretching. Well, after about 30 seconds, the Golgi tendon organ is feeling this tight muscle. And it's going, man, if we keep stretching this and I don't relax, we might hurt this muscle. Or it might be looking at it and say, I feel we've been here for a while. It seems kind of safe to me. So let's just relax the muscle right now because I think we're cool. We're absolutely fine. And so the GTO might allow for a relaxation and the spindle and the GTO are within the same muscle. This is autogenic inhibition, causing the muscle to relax when you do things like a static stretch and also the similar thing that happens when you're doing self-myofascial release or foam rolling or all, AKA roller massage. Uh, you're gonna get the same outcomes. You're gonna get this autogenic inhibition. As a thank you for listening to the NASM CPT podcast, I've got a special offer for you. 20% off of any NASM order. You can use that 20% to get certified as a personal trainer through our CPT program, the standard for the fitness industry, or expand your career with one of our specializations, including our latest one, NASM Nutrition Certification, which gives you the skills to be a certified nutrition coach. Get 20% off your order by calling 800-460-6276 or visiting nasm.org and using the code PODCAST20. That's 800-460-6276, and the discount code is PODCAST20. Start changing even more lives today. Well, that's it for corrective flexibility. It's appropriate at the stabilization level. So again, kind of the brilliance of this entire setup is that we can take our flexibility continuum, uh, our integrated flexibility continuum, and then we start plugging it in. Now, there are some people who will look at static stretching and they say, oh, I don't like static stretching. Static stretching doesn't work. Static stretching this, static stretching that. 
Um, clearly, there's some some stretch bias that's going into there because there's plenty of research that shows that static stretching works at increasing range of motion. But why are you trying to increase range of motion? I think that we need to always have that in mind. But the other thing that happens, we look at corrective flexibility and static stretching is that, yes, there's research that plenty that shows that it works to help increase range of motion, but why would somebody look at that and say it doesn't work? Well, it might be because of the benefits that come from active stretching. So we, we have that. We do that also. We have active flexibility as a component of our integrated flexibility continuum where we'll do active isolated stretching. And what we don't do is we don't say, hey, there's active stretching and there's static stretching. Pick one. What's your favorite? And then downplay the importance of everything else. I look at that and I say, man, there's a serious flaw in what you're doing. That's a serious flaw. What that is, is you're not looking at the whole picture. You go in and you look at a painting, and some paintings have really, really wonderful designs in it. But if you're standing up really close to the painting, all you might see are a bunch of dots. And then you back away slowly, and those dots start to create a bigger, a, a more fluid picture, a richer picture of understanding And that's what I think we should look at here instead of arguing which is better and just because I choose this one, the other one doesn't work. What we should be doing is finding out who is this for and what are the benefits for. And if there are benefits in every single bits of self-myofascial release and, and, and static stretching and neuromuscular stretching and active isolated stretching and dynamic stretching, why would we exclude anything? This is an integrated model. And as we start to figure out what are some other means of flexibility that are valuable, they'll start be integrated into the model as well because they have value, they have a purpose, and they follow along within this kind of integrated concept. So once you've moved on from helping to assist somebody with increasing their range of motion, now what you want to do is you want to apply strength to their newfound range of motion. So if you don't apply strength to it, you have to continue to statically stretch it in order for it to maintain its new range of motion. Well, I want to provide strength to my new range of motion. If I can provide strength to it, it now has function. It now has a purpose. So a great example I like to do is clearly we may talk or you may hear a lot of people talk about tight hip flexors. People sitting in a chair and their hips are in a flexed position and the hips become... Uh, adaptively shortened into that hip flex position. And we want to say, well, now I need to provide some strength maybe to my hip extensors. So I've got a new range of motion from my corrective flexibility in my hip flexors, and now I'm going to use my hip extensors in active isolated stretching to pull me into a new range of motion. So that stretch, that static stretch, a minimum of, of a a 30-second hold, with an active stretch, you're not looking at something nearly that long. You're looking into going in to that range of motion, holding it, maybe hip-driving, squeezing the glute to get a, a hip extension to stretch those hip flexors. And to be honest, the goal of this, you shouldn't be looking at this and saying, hey, I don't feel my hip flexors stretch. Not the point. 
That's not the point. The point is getting the hip extensors to move you through it. So this is no longer about the muscles you were working with, corrective exercise when it turns it comes to like, did I feel that muscle? It is now about feeling that you're going through that range of motion and your hip extensors are taking you through hip extension and the hip flexors are agreeing to go through that motion. You might have clients where you have them do a floor bridge. And when they do a floor bridge, they rub the front of their thighs and they say, but I feel it here. Well, those people, that's a great active stretch for, for them because they're getting an actual stretch in the rectus femoris, but also making sure that the glutes are your primary hip extensors in that and that it's not hamstring dominant because we don't want to go through this active flexibility and start to create a synergistic dominant situation. We want the primary extensor to be the primary extensor. We want the synergist to be the synergist. So active flexibility provides strength to your new range of motion. It's going to increase your neuromuscular efficiency, and it's going to do this via something called reciprocal inhibition. Not autogenic, reciprocal inhibition. Autogenic inhibition has got to be held for how long? That's right, about 30 seconds. Reciprocal inhibition is, think about in math classes, we had fractions. There's a numerator and denominator, and if you wanted to multiply out of it, you had to get the reciprocal. Reciprocal just means the thing on the other side. So reciprocal inhibition, the glutes are the thing on the other side. That's the muscle that you may want to really activate, and when that happens, the muscle on the opposite side ideally is going to now relax. If not, you've got something called altered reciprocal inhibition. And so what we want to do is we want to provide length to the short, tight, overactive muscles and then provide strength to the opposing muscle groups. So now we can work through a newfound range of motion and provide strength into that newfound range of motion. And that's the value of active flexibility. And it's something that's undervalued in a lot of training. So your personal trainers that are out there, you CPTs that are out there doing the thing, I love that you're foam rolling. I love that you're doing static stretching to increase range of motion. But y'all, let's start getting the active flexibility in there. Start taking them through active flexibility exercises and do several repeats because this is done in the strength level. And the value of this is because it's uh, even our flexibility is a strength training exercise here. We're providing strength activation to the glutes prior to going and doing a, 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 a leg-based, glute-based exercise, like a squat or a deadlift. So now I'm going to go through my active flexibility as prep work for my strength training, which is beautiful because it's just a bunch of activation exercises for muscles. We'll refer to it here right now as active flexibility, but there are activation exercises. And then finally... When you ever hear studies that say, oh, static stretching, don't do that because it limits how fast you're going to run. Yeah, I get that. But remember, static stretching is designed to increase range of motion, and it's generally done in phase or, or level one of the OPT model. If you're in the top level, level three, the power level of the OPT model, you're not doing corrective flexibility. Most likely, unless you've got a severe and kind of clinical imbalance, you're not doing uh, active flexibility. You're doing functional flexibility. Functional flexi flexibility, yes, you're gonna, you can use uh, self-myofascial release or foam rolling, but then you've got dynamic stretching. Dynamic stretching is the technique that is applied. You know, dynamic stretching can be leg swings. 
right? Those hamstring swings. It can be leg swinging back for this dynamic hip flexor stretch. There are these side-to-side swings for your ab and adductors. But you can do squats. And though that's not as incredibly dynamic, it is certainly functional. And really functional flexibility, what we're trying to get out of it is the ability to do that squat and to be able to do that squat in better form. And every time you go through a range of motion in a functional exercise, you need functional flexibility to do that. So it's all appropriate, whether you're doing corrective flexibility or static stretching, whether you're doing active flexibility as a technique, active isolated stretching, or functional flexibility for dynamic stretching, adding your self-myofascial release or your foam rolling in there, but finding where your clients are or where you are personally in what type of flexibility you should be working on. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. My name is Rick Ritchie. You can hit me up at Rick. R-I-C-K dot Richie, R-I-C-H-E-Y at N-A-S-M.org. Holler at me. Let me know um, what you thought of this podcast. And if there's something else you want me to talk about or speak on that I can help support you with, let me know. This is the NASM CPT Podcast.